0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to Sports Medicine on Tap. I'm Jason Kopek, your host for this evening, coming to you from Neck of the Woods Brewing Company in Pittman, New Jersey. Joined as always by Dr. Frey. Dr. Frey, how are you?
1: Doing great, Jason. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing good. We have a awesome topic for tonight for all our MMA junkies out there. Uh, you know, we're going to take a step back from the uh, more traditional sports out there. Uh, we've done a lot of NBA coverage over the last couple of weeks, but you know, going off the mainstream path a little bit. And we're going to talk about the MMA injury to Chris Weidman. Uh, Dr. Frey, you brought in somebody that's going to help us out a lot with this topic. Who do you got for us tonight?
1: We got uh, Dr. Chris Hedell. Uh He's a trauma specialist who works for reconstructive orthopedics. Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: First of all, thank you guys for having me on the show. Uh, really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this topic. I uh, did my uh, trauma fellowship at Temple University uh, in 2011-2012, and uh, worked as an orthopedic traumatologist there for eight years before coming to Recon. This is my second year with Recon, enjoying the job. All right. So, uh, you know, let's give a little warning before we
0: start this off, right? If uh, if you haven't seen the injury to Chris Weidman and you're somebody that's susceptible to, you know, maybe you're a little bit queasy with certain injuries, I suggest you not uh, go ahead and YouTube this. Um, But if you're a a sports med person like us or, you know, you're in MMA, you've obviously seen this.
1: Even Uh, still, man, they are gruesome injuries.
0: Uh, so UFC 261, April 24th, it was in Jacksonville, Florida. Veterans Memorial Arena, I've actually been there. Uh, the Philadelphia Soul used to play the Jacksonville Sharks numerous times. Uh, I've, so I've been in that arena. The, you know, the middleweight contest of the event was Chris Weidman versus Uriah Hall. 17 seconds into the bout, and you know, I, I've, I've done enough background now. Chris had a plan going in. He was going to start with a one-two combo a jab and a leg strike Uh, he starts you know he starts it off he throws his jab throws the leg strike and boom that was it like i said we've seen the video now he strikes the leg of uriah hall docs you know both of you guys you we've seen the pictures now we actually see the leg bend around uriah's and then probably i don't know if it's the worst part of it but he plants his leg after that, and then he folds up like an accordion. You're supposed see-
1: to have an extra knee right there. No. Uh,
0: <laughs> I, at one point, Dr. Haydell, I, I'm looking at his heel pointing straight up at his face. This is not something we see in typical sports. I, I, I can't say I've ever seen this as an athletic trainer. Um, so I'm excited to you know kick this off because I feel like I'm going to learn a great deal about this. Cr- Chris, what did you see when you, when you looked at that? What were your initial thoughts?
2: It's actually pretty interesting because um, you wouldn't expect someone uh, that, um, you know, continuously kicks hard objects Mm -hmm. to sustain an injury like this. But um, I guess under the the right conditions, it can happen. But essentially, he he, uh, kicked the leg of the other fighter, and his tibia simply broke Mm -hmm. mid-shaft. And unfortunately, it takes, I, I think it takes a couple seconds for... Uh, a person to realize when one of these injuries mm-hmm. uh happens and he tried to you know plant to plan his next move and unfortunately right. he realized that he had he had nothing to stand stand on and fell um and that's what he realized do you think like adrenaline
0: took over there like he didn't even realize the situation he was in when he planted that leg
2: yeah i i, I just don't i just don't think that I guess physiologically, the the pain or sig- pain signal registered at yeah. that point, yeah. and he was just it, it happened so fast. They throw right. those kicks so quickly yeah. that I think it, it it really did not register until he tried to put his foot down and fell. Yeah. You know? I, I got to
1: imagine that it, that when when they when they're doing these kicks in general, um, they're they're hitting pretty hard, and there's probably a little bit of pain involved each time that they do it anyway, yeah. and 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 I think. You probably hit the nail on the head. It just didn't register, like, what the hell just happened to him? And he tries to put his foot down. Like, it's <laughs> – and, yeah, and then he knows when he puts his foot down, there's nothing there.
0: And we'll get into, you know, the outcome of the injury, but let's just say for whatever reason he delivers that strike and then he falls on his own without putting uh, the, 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 the injured leg on the, on the ground. Would the injury have been as substantial, you think?
2: Uh, I think it, so. Yeah. So it it,
0: it, the damage had been done at that point. I'm yeah, assuming.
2: yeah. Yeah. When he when he struck the other fighter's leg, his his tibia broke, yeah. um, and mm-hmm. so did the fibula. And um, I guess there were some questions of whether the injury may have been open, but mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of uh, video footage. Uh, on the internet now that has been slowed down but it looked like his tibia was bleeding uh, or his leg was bleeding uh, when he pulled his leg back before he stepped down so there was a I guess there was some uh, speculation on whether the uh, skin laceration occurred when he tried to plant after the injury but his skin appeared to be open right after uh, the bone broke before he planted
0: and maybe this is because uh I think we could all say that the UFC fighters are just a different breed altogether. The fact that he posted his own X-rays was that shocking to you, Dr. Frey? I mean, I don't feel like we see that a lot in the other sports.
1: Uh, I guess a little surprising, but you know, different people have different comfort levels and what they what they'll share about themselves. And and, you know, I would say that, you know, I think uh, you're right that. these fighters, the the mixed martial arts fighters, uh, are a little bit of a different breed, and there's a little bit of a badge of honor there, yeah. almost. Where where like like look what happened to my leg, you know, and they're they're kind of proud to post the photos and show w- what they had just been through. Um, yeah, you know, may, maybe some other guys would do it, but but uh, most probably wouldn't. But but you know, you're dealing with a, a little bit of a crazier bunch.
0: Dr. haydell we so we we had the opportunity to see his X-ray pre-surgical. Surprising to you, or would you? Is that exactly what you expected after seeing the footage?
2: Yeah, I think the uh, fracture pattern matched the mechanism of injury. Um, looking at his X-rays, he sustained midshaft fractures of the tibia and fibula, uh, and the fracture pattern kind of confirmed uh, the strike point and also the exit point of the energy. So um, if you're looking at the x-rays, there, there are these small flecks of bone on the front of the leg, near the front of the tibia, uh, which would indicate um, you know a compressive force on that edge of the bone. And then there's kind of more a transverse fracture line, which is typically um, 90 degrees to the axis of the bone, straight across. And that indicates usually the exit point or tension side of the fracture so I think that that is a good like matchup for the mechanism of injury Um, the fibula fracture seems to be slightly oblique and that might have been that might have been because the leg started twisting once the tibia had broken and caused more of a spiral type or uh, angled fracture line
1: Hey Chris. So, so for the, the listeners out there who don't know as much about this, um,
2: and me, you know, and and, and, me. <laughs> and Jason potentially. <laughs> so, so you, know, you,
1: you said that there, there was bleeding. You noticed it, like kind of, you know, in the slowed down video, you could see bleeding right from the get go, which which would indicate, you know, an open fracture, an older term. You know, people go back to Joe Theismann injury, to compound fracture. Um, but how does that change the management? How does that change this
2: injury? It's interesting that you bring that up. Um, I think that, that, term, that, that terminology compound is still uh, used in the media. It was actually still used in the um, articles on ESPN. Um, and it's a less favorable descriptive term for these injuries because uh, sometimes it's it's not... Uh, its purpose is not really understood. So we do use the term open injury, which does denote a laceration in the skin. And the significance of that is that um, it can increase the chance of infection or the bone not healing if the skin is damaged because then the fracture site itself can be contaminated with bacteria. So I think that's the major significance of the injury. Um, Of course, there's different... Uh, levels of injury. There's a classification system, but basically the more severe the skin and muscle injury, the higher the chance of infection, the bone not healing, and sometimes loss of limb.
1: What would be the latest high-profile open fracture that kind of led to sort of a miracle return, but a little bit of a disaster um, initially?
2: Uh, Uh, It was uh, the football player Alex Smith. So um, he sustained a a higher energy injury of his uh, tibia and fibula, which uh, unfortunately had a problem with infection. He had to have a significant amount of um, muscle and skin removed, Um, ultimately recovered from that injury because he's playing, but had to have multiple surgeries to save his leg and initially his life. Um, He was having uh, such a bad uh, infection that, you know, his life was threatened. So let me walk it to you from
0: an athletic training standpoint. So if this, you know, heaven forbid happened on the field, the ATC splinting them, we've obviously called 911 at this point and we're sending them off in, you know, in an ambulance. Uh, I'm assuming this is where, you know, Dr. Frey, Dr. Haydell, this is where the on-call weekends that you guys do, right, comes into play. So you get this call, you, you shoot over to the surgery center,
2: what happens from Center. there? Center. <laughs> <laughs> well, That's the typ- hospital. You know. Well, t- uh, yeah. Correct. So, so typically, um, y- you know, these these injuries are treated with uh, like realigning the, yeah. the limb as much as uh, as best as possible uh, in the field, and I think the most important two determining factors to avoid. Uh, the complications that we mentioned before, infection as well as other complications such as non-union is the time uh, that it takes to get the patient their first dose of antibiotics and the time it takes them to get to their definitive treating uh, center. So those are are the two biggest factors. So um, getting them antibiotics as quickly as possible is really important. And I know that some uh, ambulance crews have been starting to carry antibiotics to give in the field because Mm -hmm. of that uh, data that has come out uh, in research, but once the patient reaches uh, the definitive treating center, it's important to get the the wound debrided, which means cleaned out, any foreign debris removed, get the bones stabilized, and get the skin closed as soon as possible, as soon as safely possible. So, again, uh, Chris himself posted
0: these. Uh, Chris Weidman, not not, not Dr. Chris Haydell. Uh, <laughs> it's a major uh, HIPAA violation <laughs> if I did that. Chris Weidman uh, was generous enough to also post the x-rays post-surgical. Uh, Dr. Haydell, uh, your thoughts on the post-surgical x-rays. Is that exactly what you would have done? Was there any? Are there differences in the way this is, quote-unquote, rotted or? Treated.
2: Treated, yeah. Tibia fractures or any fracture in general can be treated by two methods. One is by um, uh, plates and screws, Mm -hmm. um, and another is with something called an intramedullary nail, which uh, is what Chris had his tibia fracture treated with. And um, generally with long bone fractures such as the tibia, um, intramedullary rotting is the gold standard or preferred treatment because it allows um, early weight-bearing In his case, um, he had a mid-shaft tibia fracture, mostly a transverse pattern, which means there is a tremendous amount of bony contact after the two fragments are realigned. So he can have immediate weight-bearing with that implant, which will help him return to function earlier and also promote healing.
0: And and that's a a common thing uh, where, again... um, just speaking, because I, I don't have a lot of background on this, the the screws that we see right there below the tibial plateau, all the way down the ankle, that's a common placement for those.
2: Correct. Yeah. So uh, essentially, those uh, screws or locking bolts are placed at the uh, opposite ends of the nail to basically control rotation. So that's the only thing that the nail, you know, in this fracture pattern, doesn't control because his bone is uh, ha- there's a there's plenty of bony contact. Yeah. You know, uh, compression load is is fairly well controlled with the rod in, but um, rotation is not controlled in that manner. So we put those bolts in to control rotation.
0: And those those
2: implants there,
0: I'm you know I'm kind of cheating here because we have talked you know we talked a little bit before we started recording, but that's for life, huh?
2: Yeah, that's in there. Those those that implant is typically made of titanium. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a pretty inert metal, meaning that the body typically does not react to it. I don't know of any type of allergic reactions that occur to titanium, and they are designed to stay in for life.
1: What do What do you think the chances of him getting back to sport are as an MMA fighter with a you know with a rotted tibia? What, what do you think the chances are that he can get back to doing what he does?
2: I, I think it's a, I, I think he has a great chance to do that. I mean, his his fracture pattern is one that should heal. I know that it was open but I I don't think there was a lot of gross contamination or uh, infection chance there. I think he has a great chance to return. Um, One of the questions or... Uh, things that I brought up was does this put him at an unfair, an unfair advantage uh, in the future right. when he is kicking somebody and he has a titanium nail in his leg? I don't it's know. just unloading. It, yeah, exactly. Like, uh, you know, if he kicks someone again, even if his tibia breaks, it's going to be stable. He right. could keep going. So I'm just curious to know if that's going to be an unfair advantage for him, if he's going to have to have that implant removed before right. he returns to competition. It's interesting what the what the uh, uh, UFC will say about that. Right, right, right. I, I guess I'd like to even take that a step further,
0: uh, Dr. Frey. Is what is this timeline for just daily life like? And you know, how how long is it? When can he bear weight? When can he drive? When when can he be functional as a human being? You know,
2: um, I, I would say that immediate weight bearing for him is probably okay. Considering the fact that he had an open uh, injury, you know, I don't think it's uncommon for surgeons to wait a couple of weeks for all his incisions to heal before starting weight bearing. So I think even waiting a couple weeks, that's considered early weight bearing. So after the after the soft tissue or the incisions look like they're going to heal. Yeah, I think weight bearing at two weeks is completely acceptable for him. Driving takes a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, uh, driving is safe about six to eight weeks after weight bearing is initiated because of reaction time. Right. Uh, especially if it's the driving, if it's the driving foot. In right. his case, it, it is. So, um, that that's what I would say: six to eight weeks after initiation of weight bearing. In your in, in your world, are Are you seeing this patient again
0: or are you just the physician that stabilized the situation or are you do you have the advantage of are you seeing him one week post-op three weeks six week or does he get transferred over to somebody else.
2: No, basically we, we see the patient through until okay. they're they're done. Yeah. So, so you're um, in control of a lot of this. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We take care of him in the hospital. Once he's discharged, we typically see the patients uh, at two weeks post-op, unless we need to take a look at a, a wound that's yeah. questionable, which often happens with open injuries. Um, patients need closer follow-up. Mm-hmm. But typically after that, it's on a routine schedule as long as everything's going well.
1: How about the irony with this injury? Like Like... It's the incredible. fact that, whatever it was, eight years prior or ten years prior, Anderson Silva has the same injury on his leg. Yeah. Like, what are the chances while, while of
0: that? leg striking Chris. All leg
1: striking Chris Weidman. Yeah, Weidman, yeah like, yeah. like that's unbelievable. Like, what are the chances yeah. of that happening? Right.
2: Yeah, I, I think it's. I think it's a rare um, occurrence, but I think it was just a perfect. A perfect storm. Basically, I think the the energy stayed with Chris Weidman, didn't transfer into his opponent, and unfortunately, as a result, his tibia broke. Do, do
1: you think there's any chance, or do you think it's possible that there was uh, a predisposition for it? Could could there have been an underlying stress fracture or something or other that predisposed him to sustaining this injury when when his leg made contact with his opponent?
2: Possibly. Yeah. I mean. Um, MMA fighters are expected to, I mean, in practice, they're, they're kicking with their shins. You know, I think it's a constant thing, and I think it's, 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 it's a possibility that you can get a stress fracture, and, and like you said, these, uh, these fighters are tough, and they, they have a lot of pride in what they do. If they have a little pain, they may work through that, and it may, you know, it may go undiagnosed, essentially.
1: right. right. What do you think? How that? How would that? So let's say, let's say, he has. He feels it coming on. He has. You know, he's. You know, my leg is killing me. It's just not right. Every every time I, I can't kick, it's it's hurting me. And I'm having a hard time every time I start training. Um, I feel it when I'm starting to put some weight on it, and and we treated it then. And you know, someone got the X-rays at that point, as opposed to it hanging around. And um, I'm making a big, big jump here. I I don't know that there was a stress fracture beforehand, but, but how would have it changed the management had, uh, had it been caught at that particular point in time?
2: I mean, I, I I think that athletes always will have the option to get something prophylactically or preventively fixed to prevent a complete fracture. So in his case, if he were having symptoms and uh, had a stress fracture diagnosed, I'm sure the option would have been presented to him to have it reinforced with an intramedullary nail before the fracture completed. Yeah. So I think it's always a possibility and always an option, Doc.
0: If let's say the last ten of these procedures that you've done, how many of them were sports related, and the ones that weren't, what are some other types of? mechanisms, situations that someone's been brought into the hospital where you had to perform this?
2: I have not treated any sports related, uh, tibia shaft fractures, um, in the last year and a half. Mm -hmm. Pretty unusual. Um, Yeah. Most of them are from, uh, falls down, down the stairs Mm -hmm. or people doing things at home on ladders and having a fall. Um, also, uh, low energy, motorcycle or car accidents. I uh, had one person that works in a, uh, like a, a, a sheet rock Factory and a piece, piece of sheetrock rock fell on his leg, and he got a tibia fracture. So all kinds of mechanisms.
0: Oh, and it sounds like it's always a very traumatic situation.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think it, uh, as long as there's n- nothing inherently wrong with the bone, yeah. such as a tumor or a stress fracture, uh, it takes a considerable amount of force to break a healthy tibia. Strong bone. Yeah.
1: I don't live in the same world that Chris lives in, right? I don't. I don't see the. the I'm on call, I see it occasionally, but typically I don't see the, I don't see the MVA, I don't see the motorcycle accident. Um, we we typically try to ship those guys or have them treated by, by Dr. Haydell, right? Like that's what he does. In my world, I see, I see the stress fracture, right? Uh, I see, uh, someone who's been, um, who's been on the couch for the last, you know, six years and decided they're going to make a change. They're going to grab hold and they're going to take control and they're going to get up and they're going to start running. And as they do, they kind of jump into it too quickly. It doesn't happen they don't progress appropriately slowly enough, or, or there's, there's a big race coming up, and they pick up their their intensity of training, and then they, they come to me with with pain in their shin, and and then I'm I'm trying to figure out is this is this a shin splint, a you know medial tibial stress syndrome, or is this actually stress fracture? And those scenarios where it does turn out to be a stress fracture. You know, it's it's, it's for us management-wise, it's, it's it's a lot easier than than dropping a nail than putting a nail in frequently, but not every single time, right? So so lots of times we try to treat this non-operatively. We'll go with um, you know essentially uh, activity modification. We don't even usually get them off it. Occasionally we we'll put them in. A, sometimes you put them in a boot. Sometimes you won't put them in a boot. But re- literally, you just take away the offending factor, right? You've been running, and that's what's caused this injury. Stop running walk on it. It's fine. You don't need crutches. You can walk on it. It's okay. And typically it's like four to six weeks and they start getting better. And then we want to see them get through about two weeks of no pain. They can do kind of do what they want to do with no pain. And then, then there's this gradual reintroduction of whatever activity it is that they were doing, whatever sport it is. I find it tends to be closer to six than four with a femur. It tends to be like three months, it's a lot longer than that. But with this gradual reintroduction of sports and reintroduction of activity. And at first, it's you know every few days, then every day, and kind of increasing your activity. And if you have pain, you got to stop. And then there's something we talk about, sorry Jason, there's something we talk about called the dreaded black line. And in the dreaded black line is when, when someone has this fracture, this distress fracture, which doesn't always show up on X-ray at first. Sometimes you need a bone scan, you need an MRI and whatnot to see it. And that with that dreaded black line, you'll you'll get this scenario where, where you have the bone trying to heal, but it but it can't heal because it's on the front or the anterior part of the of the tibia, the, the shin bone and um, that's under tension. It's a little bit bowed, so that's not under compression, it's under tension. Bone heals under compression, not under tension. And sometimes it just hangs around. It just doesn't heal. So as we're in that scenario, one, if you're a high-level athlete, if you're a professional athlete, sometimes you just say, no, I don't want this to go on for... For three months or four months or five months and then have to fix it then let's just fix it right from the beginning um and you're a more standard athlete you know you're off the couch athlete and you're your weekend warrior typically you go that you know six weeks three months maybe six months and if they're not turning the corner if they have that dreaded black line the same thing we'll we'll put it we'll put a rod in and do it a little bit differently You, you don't necessarily need need the 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 screws to to control rotation because that's not an issue but and it's a little bit of an easier surgery to be honest with you because you don't have to get it lined up perfectly like it It is lined up you just got to drop the rod it's it's a little bit easier to do even still i i I give that to chris in in a perfect world
0: dr frey then actually leads to my next question how difficult is it for you when you get a patient in the office say 14 15 you know took the summer off but they're gearing up for high school sports Mm -hmm. Um, and they come in with anterior shin pain. How difficult is it to not jump to wanting to get a bone scan or MRI to determine whether this is a stress fracture or is it just shin splints, medial tibial stress syndrome?
1: Yeah, so there's certain things on, on, a, on an examination that will be helpful in determining the two. And it, it can be confusing, you can get it wrong. And uh, one thing you're gonna do is typically in the office, we have the, the benefit of x ray. So simply we'll do an x ray in the office. and. If, if, if you notice something on the x-ray, if you notice a little line on the x-ray evidence of a, of a fracture, yeah, of course, then you got your answer. But if you don't um it it is still. Pretty reasonable or there's still a fairly high chance that just because you don't see the fracture on the x-ray that they actually do have a stress fracture so so then you're relying on your clinical exam and there's certain certain things you can find on clinical exam that can be beneficial in guiding typically with a stress fracture it's a little more of of a focal point tenderness lots of times it's kind of that mid-shaft tibia or distal third tibia, where, where you tend to see it with the shin splints or medial tibial stress syndrome, frequently it's a, a little more spread out across mm-hmm. the tibia. Sometimes you can feel a little fracture callus. If it's been going on for a little while, you can already feel some of that fracture callus beginning to form, mm-hmm. which is an indication to you that, yeah, no, no, this was a stress fracture and they're, and they're trying to heal it. Um, sometimes just by exam, you can feel it's more in the soft tissue than it is directly on the bone. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, the stress fracture, you're going to feel more in that anterior, that front corner, of the of the tibia, although you can still feel it on that the, the, the anterior medial corner, that or, or or the the inside portion. There's a couple. There's something called a hop test. You can have them do, and, and typically if that 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 reproduces pain, especially focal pain, that's an indication that it's a stress fracture. You can. Uh, There's something called the fulcrum test. There's, you can percuss the tibia, so you're you tapping on the tibia, and if that leads to a, a point tenderness, that can be an indication that this is a stress fracture. So so we have a physical exam, a pretty, pretty extensive exam, and a number of tests that will help us, help guide us. Is this probably a stress fracture, or is this probably more shin splints? Um, Frequently, that younger guy, 14, 15, frequently that that chin splints. Not every single time, but usually it is. Once you get to your, your you know your 25-year-old athlete, your 30-year-old athlete, your 40-year-old athlete, um, especially if there's been a change in your your, your training regimen, you're, you're a lot you know, the antenna goes up, the red flag goes up, you're a lot more suspicious for, for stress fracture.
0: Dr. Haydell, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. So we have an email account set up, tap at gmail.com, and typically our listeners will Hear an episode, you know, within that week, email us with questions, and that's what we encourage. In this situation, we had an email come through because my wife has some uh, inside information. So we were discussing the tonight's topic last night at the dinner table. She asked me a question, which uh, I had no idea, and I woke up this morning to an email from her. Because she's uh, <laughs> wanted to know the exact uh, answer, and she wasn't happy that I didn't. So from the wife, uh, you know, Dr. Haidel, I'm hoping you can help me save face a little bit. Uh, but her Maybe. question, <laughs> her question, I mean, it had me stumped. Um, what she was based, I'm going to summarize her email was: How did Chris Weidman deliver such an aggressive, explosive blow where it shattered his leg, and the opponent, Uriah Hall? shows no sign of feeling anything. He didn't grimace. Um, and this all started with, she hadn't seen the video. I showed her at the dinner table. She was actually watching the wrong person. She was expecting the injury to occur to the person being struck.
1: I'm seeing right? the blow.
0: Uh, so she was like, I missed it. What happened? And I was like, what do you mean you missed it? Like, his leg is folding him. I, w- I wasn't <laughs> watching him, sorry. R- run that back, is what she said. Um, but her question, I, I had no answer for. Her. She, How did... How did such a traumatic injury happen to the person delivering the blow? Is, is this a medical answer?
2: Um, I, I think that, and uh, by no means am I a uh, expert in physics, but I would say that just basic knowledge about uh, fractures and uh, physics, saying that you know energy has to go somewhere, mm-hmm. and. These fighters hope that the um, energy uh, from their blows goes into their opponent. Of course, some of it stays with them and they feel the impact, but the majority of the energy you would think would go into the target. Uh, but unfortunately, I think the way Chris Wyman struck his opponent... The energy stayed with him and his tibia, unfortunately, could not handle that energy. Yeah. I guess a good analogy would be a baseball player where you think is going to smash this thing out of the park and the bat just snaps and that ball doesn't go anywhere. That's a all, great analogy. That's a great all analogy. All that yeah. energy oh. just stayed in the bat and yeah. it shatters. Um, oh, that's, yeah, I you, think it was just... A great, like, yeah.
1: Do, do you think it had anything to do with the fact that the his opponent's foot is planted oh. and his... It's it's like an open chain sort of injury where his foot's not planted and it can just wrap around the uh, you know
2: That's a good point. You know, I I noticed that, you know, when I did watch uh, UFC fights Sometimes the opponents lift their legs off the ground and that makes the target Like mobile, right? So a lot of that energy dissipates because the target moves away Yeah, it bounces away, but you're right. He had his leg planted Unfortunately, that's like you punch in a wall and there's a pillar in there. You don't know there's a stud and boom, your knuckle breaks. Yeah. Um, it could, could have been that too. So, I mean, I think, I think there's somebody out there with the, uh, with the knowledge of physics that is probably making some diagrams right now to figure <laughs> this out. But I think basically, I, I think unfortunately it was a, a perfect storm for Chris Weidman and unfortunately his tibia took most of that energy. Well, the lovely Kelly from Wallingford, I hope that uh,
0: answers your question a little bit better <laughs> than what you got uh, last evening. Uh, again, tap at gmail.com. Uh, we encourage you guys to reach out with any questions.
1: Hey, Jason, i, I got to call attention to something here. Last week we did our show. We did it on Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. Theoretically now going forward, we're doing it on we're doing them Tuesday nights. Mm-hmm. Last week was right before the NFL draft, mm-hmm. and we, we, we took a second to stopped about the, talk about the NFL draft. Yeah. <laughs> And you said, yeah, well, if they trade up to nine, they can get such a – and that's how it played out, man. Like, Well,
0: unfortunately, <laughs> I was right where the Eagles were going to trade up, but I didn't think Kyle Pitts was going to go as early as they- he did. Yeah. So I didn't think the Falcons were going to take him. I, Again, not an NFL expert. I thought the Falcons would maybe grab a down-the-road backup plan for Matt Ryan. I yeah. thought they would take, you know, maybe a Justin Fields. So the Eagles did, in fact, trade up, but I thought it was going to be for Kyle Pitts. But I'm very happy about Devontae Smith. I think he's going to be a game changer for him.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, well, one, I think, I think Kyle Pitts, and, and again, I'm not, again, I agree, I'm not a huge college football fan, I know it a little bit, but Pitts is one of these guys that has the, has the talent to sort of change the game, um, so, so my gut was that he was not going to be there at nine, and I think, um, again, I'm a Steeler fan, but I think the Eagles kind of did what they needed to do, right, the way things had unfolded at that point in time, there's this, there's a couple guys that are left that, that that they really want, and they see that, you know, the writing's on the wall, right, uh, Chasey. Horn goes, uh, Sertain goes, and next thing you know, they know the next two guys that are going to go, the only two guys that they're interested in, and that's that's two picks, that's it's three picks before they go, so the Dallas is going to get who they want, the Giants are going to get who they want, and the Eagles are going to be left out in the cold, so, so they make their move.
0: I think the Eagles got the guy they wanted, and as, uh, as an Eagles fan and a Giants hater, I think it worked out twofold that the Giants lost out on the guy they really wanted. Uh so I'm excited about that right um and,
1: and as told by the fact that they traded back as soon as exactly. as soon as he goes yeah. off the board.
0: exactly yeah. uh perfect lead you know so we tied this you know we somehow came full circle we got this back to you know more of the mainstream you know more of the uh four four main sports dr Haydell there there's been some other injuries over the last x amount of years um How similar was Chris Weidman to the likes of, let's stay in the NFC East here, uh, Chris Weidman to say Dak Prescott uh, just last year, Um, NBA, we've seen it with with Gordon Hayward, Paul George, uh, we also had that one with uh, Kevin Ware. you know, during the NCAA tournament with 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 Louisville, I could um, swear
1: this was Kenny Martin's injury when he was in Cincinnati. Kenny Martin's another great Cincinnati. example, yeah. Before um, I know, not, tragic, I'm, right? He's a senior yeah. and he's about to go pro, and he's going to be probably be the number one pick. And
0: yeah, and I, and I know, Doc. Like, so every injury is always different, but was this on the same path as those guys?
2: So um, Dak Prescott and uh, Paul George actually sustained um, different injuries than Chris Weidman. Um, those two sustained more twisting injuries to the ankle, and the fractures were around the ankle. So it's kind of a different uh, breed of injury. Hayward actually sustained the same injury, I would say, as Chris Wyman, a mid-shaft tibia fracture. Um, I think he was going up to block a shot, um, came down near the base of the... Um, a uh, goal post and that acted like a fulcrum and his leg bent over it and he sustained a midshaft tibia fracture. Same thing with where I think that you brought yeah. him up and I think he had a midshaft tibia fracture as well. Um, so all devastating uh, injuries for an athlete. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I, I think treatable and obviously can, uh, some of these athletes have returned to play with these injuries um, I think Alex Smith is probably the most extreme case that I've seen um, and that, uh, of that's these injuries. In
1: part because it was complicated by infection.
2: Yeah, exactly. And that—that's the main threat with uh, these open injuries. And not
1: just any infection, devastating infection, yeah. neck in fashion.
0: Exactly. I, I hate to say it, as a as an Eagles fan, I'm assuming the Cowboys know that Dak will be back, or else they wouldn't have signed him to such a, a major extension. But I. I I think I guess he's the outlier here because his was the most recent. We don't know he's not technically returned yet, but the Cowboys expect big things from him moving forward. Didn't
2: didn't he just recently have another surgery to do some sort of cleanup? I I, I thought I thought I was. I
1: don't know. That's uh, interesting. Catching us off guard. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. catching us off guard, Doc. (laughs) In
2: in my research, um, you know, of what's going on with these athletes. it's interesting. I, I thought I read something that he had a second surgery to clean his ankle up, yeah. maybe scar tissue, which can typically happen, unfortunately, with the uh, injuries around a joint. Mm-hmm. So, something to look into.
1: It, it brings up the question: So, sort of surprise that Dallas didn't take one of the one of the quarterbacks that was left on the board at that point in time. Right. They were they, right
0: there he, at ten. They could have right. taken Fields. Yeah, right. Right. right,
1: right, right. They could have even gotten him at uh, what they trade back to twelve. Twelve. No. They could have. They could have taken him at twelve. Like, yeah. like. I don't know. Oh, no, no, no. No, they could not. Chicago traded up,
0: right? Yeah, yeah I guess no, when never, it all never, of a sudden never, done. Never mind, never mind. Dr. Haydell, one of the things we've been doing here as of recent, uh, we like to go on record. I think so far we said we are zero and one with our predictions. Do you foresee? Does Chris uh, Wyman fight again?
2: I think so. Yeah. I think so. I think his uh, injury is one that he can recover from as long as he does not have mm-hmm. any of those complications that we spoke about with these types of injuries uh and i think i, I think he'll be back
0: and i guess this one's kind of tough right in that certainly things could come along down the road where he just decides not to fight but that doesn't mean he physically can't
2: yeah well i mean it, it's interesting um you know if you look at his the knee extra that, that they took he has a significant amount of arthritis um wow for i didn't even his pay age. attention to that and uh I, he's thirty-six, I, I just saw next, right? I mean, yeah. yeah, he's yeah. pretty young, so you, you can see the the toll that um, uh, the sport takes on the body. So, you know, um, I don't know if he's hurting from that right now or not, but uh, it's pretty substantial for a thirty-six-year-old.
1: I gotta say, thirty-six is not young for MMA, young for you or I, young for that's the tr- average person. That's
2: true. But for that's MMA, true.
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I think that's going to about wrap things up for tonight. Dr. Haydell, we can't thank you enough for joining us, getting you down here to Neck of the Woods for the first time, as you mentioned. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. Um, I right. think, you know, somewhere down the road, we got to have you back on so we can talk about, uh, you know, Chris Wyman's next fight.
1: Yeah. Or some other gruesome injury. <laughs> Happy to do
0: it. I appreciate you guys inviting me. Thank yeah. you. For sure. Dr. Frey, thanks again. You got it. Before we go ahead and close out our tab for this evening, we just want to go ahead and thank our sponsors. Our good friends and colleagues at Reconstructive Orthopedics, the Energy Lab, the sports performance premier destination located here in Pittman, New Jersey. Our good friends at Timber Real Productions, our on-site producer, Joe Warner, Kyle Miller, our editor, Neck of the Woods Brewing Company for hosting us each and every episode, and the beautiful Total Turf Experience Complex. We want to thank you guys and have a great night.